Today we have John Sasala, president of Mori Creative. John shares his and his team's firsthand experience in developing business and branded podcasts. We talk about his approach to building and developing podcasts, where and how they fit into the agency's larger marketing strategy, the sales process, and much more. John also shares the industry in which his team likes to hire from, which may surprise you. You're listening to Agency Unfiltered. Awesome. Well, uh, John, thanks for joining us on Agency Unfiltered, uh, at least uh, in a remote capacity, but excited to have you on the show, my friend. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, Kevin, as you know, I'm a huge fan of yours. We've done a few things in the past together. Uh, and I'm a huge fan of Agency Unfiltered. I love what you're doing with this, where you're bringing um, education to uh, our, our ecosystem and helping agencies who are always trying to skill up and do better and you know get ahead. Um, you're bringing like war stories and, and lessons that have been learned and letting us all kind of experience that together. So thank you so much for putting this together. And I'm, I'm honored to be on the show. Yeah, of course. Man. At the end of the day, I mean, I think I have the, one of the easier jobs in the world. I just have to put a microphone in front of the people that have uh, had to deal with all the trials and tribulations themselves. So I just got to give them the platform. That's all it is. So, yeah. Uh, but thanks for coming on. Uh, I know today we're going to really dig into podcasting. So podcasting as a, as a great resource and strategy for an agency or for a solutions partner, uh, but also helping clients think about how they can leverage podcasting for themselves. Um, so excited to get into that. But before we even touch on podcasting, I think there is a, a unique way in which Mori Creative Studios thinks about content development and how they build their content team. So maybe that's the best place to start if you want to give us a lay of the land on, on how you think about content. Yeah, sure. So let's actually start back in 2001 when I first joined uh, the, the Mori organization. Um, when I came on, we were a media company and we had a bunch of radio stations and uh, we had a concert hall and we were doing a lot of like great, interesting stuff, hosting expos. And, and we decided to launch a newspaper in 2001 when I first joined on. And that became like our passion project. It was the most rewarding thing that we were doing. And over about 15 years, we saw great success with that as an investigative journalism publication. But we saw the writing on the wall. We saw that um, newspapers were having trouble as a business model, and we had to make some hard decisions. And when we decided to pivot out of that role, we loved everybody that we worked with. We didn't want to lose people. Um, you know, we wanted to make sure that we could find something that we were just as passionate about. And having these great journalists on staff, content developers who know how to write, who um, you know know how to interview, know how to research, and having great designers that were building print ads and websites for for our expos and our concerts, like we had the skill set to really logically pivot into this inbound marketing agency space. Um, and something interesting happened as we were growing. We were falling in love with HubSpot. Everything that we were learning was coming from HubSpot, signed on as a HubSpot partner agency. And when we were hiring, we were looking for people that had uh, HubSpot experience or came with a marketing background and learned pretty quickly that you know, taking journalists and teaching them the best tips and tricks in inbound marketing is something that's very easy. Teaching a marketer how to compose copy quickly, that's clean, that's well-researched, that's citing th properly, um, that's, that's difficult. So something that we learned along the way, uh, we pivoted back to hiring as we grew, really exclusively people with journalism background. So one piece of advice that I want to leave anybody who's watching this episode is go and explore journalists if you're growing your content development team. Because fortunately or unfortunately, newsrooms across the world are being cut in half and there are a lot of journalists out there looking for work. So just something I want to leave people with. So treat your content team like a, like a newsroom. Um, yes, yes. 
What was the the biggest tactic or the hardest tactic or the hardest strategy to teach uh, one of those writers about marketing? What was like, was there any aspect of training them as, as strong inbound marketers that that uh, was worth calling out or that you found a little harder? Uh, you know, it, it's hard to say that they failed to adopt anything specifically, um, but it was hard to say, don't focus. So in the beginning, when we thought we had to do all of these really um, strong SEO things and, and play nice with Google, we would say things like make sure that you're linking to inbound uh, internal content and make sure that you're using keywords in those hyperlinks, which might have been true at the time. But over, over time, we realized, listen, just let these people produce the best possible content and that wins the day every day. So you were trying to layer in some of the SEO, the on-page, like some of the tips, tricks, best practices there. Be like, let's just get that out of their way and, and just produce yeah. the best content. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you would say to somebody like, okay, well, you want this piece to rank for what? Well, why isn't that keyword or related keywords in the, t the title or the URL or the meta description? And the fact is Google is so incredible that we're at a point now that even if you fail to, with latent semantic indexing and, and Google understanding that it doesn't necessarily have to be in there, you can win even if you're not following everything by the book. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, I hope you're okay with uh, losing a piece of that journalism pie because now that folks have that as a recommendation, uh, you're going to have some competition for uh, journalists uh, looking for new fine. roles. That is fine. I want other agencies to find the success that we've been able to find with this, and I want to help these people find jobs. So go, go get them, guys. Perfect. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's pivot to podcasting. Um, I think it's easy to say, I think we were joking earlier, right? Like over a coffee or over a beer, it's easy for a few folks to say like, you know what, we're going to, we're going to do a podcast. Um, mm -hmm. Now, how did Mori Creative Studios realize that it was truly time to start a uh, podcast? How did you know that, Hey, this idea has some legs and, and we feel it's going to be validated? Yeah. So it was actually, um, you know, kind of playing on that, that journalism sensibility. It was having people on staff that loved the mission behind investigative journalism and giving a microphone to those who didn't have a voice. Like we actually started producing our first podcast when we stopped a print publication and our team went and started producing a show uh, that's still going today called Newsbeat. Uh, you can find it at usnewsbeat.com. Newsbeat focuses on social justice and uh, focuses on a lot of systemic racism issues. So we're actually finding an incredible amount of positive attention right now in this uh, the world of Black Lives Matter. And um, you know we've been producing that with no specific business model tied to it, it was a passion project. And the success that we saw there, we said, hey, let's start another show. Let's do something that's going to support the agency. Uh, and three years ago, we started producing a show called Inbound and Down, which is, you know, our uh, agency life podcast. We just talk about like things that we experience as an agency, the learning moments when we realize that maybe uh, a Google algorithm update changes the way that we need to be thinking about our content and, and what we're producing. And in the beginning, that was, it was a little, um, it was a little like a, a echo chamber of us just talking to ourselves. It was myself coming from the design background and our senior inbound strategist at the time talking from the content development side. And it was great. It was great for like us to learn and understand what each other's departments were going through. And it wasn't until we started having guests on that we really saw the quality of the content um, start to increase and the attention start to increase. Um, we also started seeing some really significant business benefits that were like accidental byproducts. Um, what were those? As, um, as, as 
we started getting more popularity, we started having more people reaching out to us saying, hey, can you do this for us? And we were saying, absolutely, because we saw the way that we were leveraging it. The, the byproducts were um, the, the, the trust building process. When people have experienced our company and spent 45 minutes listening to us talk about something and demonstrating our authority in that space, they feel like they know you and they, they start to trust you in a way that, you know, just delivering them an article that they find, you know, three months later and art, another article they find, like it's a lot slower of a process. When they discover your podcast, it really does fast track that trust building. That's great. Um, what does, in the early days, what does the investment look like upfront? It, like, you know, is it a heavy ask for equipment? Do you have to have dedicated resources or folks uh, dedicated to building this up as a channel? So what does the investment look like in the early days? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, we've learned a lot of hard lessons along the way. Um, just like the reason why our agency clients hire us, they could leverage HubSpot themselves, but they don't get the five years of experience building in HubSpot that we as agencies have. So in order to really like not, not slowly learn on your own time, we've experienced some things that we can help people understand. You might have microphones. We had microphones initially in the beginning left over from our radio days that were old and rickety. I was going to say, you guys may have had a head start on some of this equipment coming from the newsroom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, yeah. Had, we had mixers laying around. We had some stuff that you know we could, we could leverage. Um, but we even learned quickly that the older technology still wasn't good enough. And it wasn't until we started having those guests on that had better microphones than we had. And we sounded like the guests on our own show. Um, so you'll learn quickly that... Uh, the equipment is very important. Um, if you do want to take this seriously and if you do want to launch this or help your clients launch this, starting with incredible microphones is a great place. And there's a company called Rode that produces a pod mic. It's The price point is incredible. It's $100 for this microphone and it is uh, just a game changer. They have a few products that really do help um, you know get anybody up and started for pretty affordably. Uh, another one is, that's important is a mixer. You need to make sure that you have multiple channels. So if I have two people in a room talking, it's not going into one channel and if they're stepping on each other or if somebody sneezes, having separate channels allows you to edit it and make sure that you don't have to redo things over and over and over. Yeah. Yep. That's great. Do you have a dedicated space in the office? Obviously now we're doing these from home, but uh, back in the days where we were going into the office, did you have dedicated spaces or rooms, a conference room dedicated for recording? Yeah, great question. Um, so that's another thing that we learned. Uh, initially, we had a conference room. We had a room that you know we would have meetings in, and then when it was time to record a podcast, we would set up the equipment and record. And that was not a sound-controlled room. So the room that I'm in right now, like it's not a sound-controlled room, and when the air conditioner kicks on, you're going to hear it. Um, so making sure that you have a space that is built to be sound-controlled. You don't hear traffic outside. You don't hear doors slamming in the background. Um, when you're in a conference room, often there is a lot of background noise that you have to, to weed out. Where we are now, because we offer podcasting as a service, we actually have a sound controlled studio um, that can service something like up to eight different people sitting in, in the room. That's so. great. So it sounds like a lot of the equipment and the resources, it's iterative over time as the as it gains more traction and as you try and build it as more of a significant piece of your, your channel mix. Yeah, the, the investment happens over time. Um, yeah. So... Obviously, it sounds like from the echo chamber days to the interviewer days to the podcast as a service days, like the workflow itself has changed. But if you could boil it down the best as you can, like what does the work stream look like for developing uh, the strategy of a podcast? So uh, whatever your cadence is, how do you decide topics? If you were going to bring in a guest, how and when and where and why does that guest get featured in? Uh, what does the distribution plan look like for new content, new episodes? Uh, I'd be curious just to get an idea of your work stream on all of that. 
Yeah. So it, it requires a lot of thinking and planning up front. You don't want to just dive in and hope that these things work themselves out because uh, you can waste a lot of time and a lot of resources. Um, and you also kind of don't want your podcast to uh, visibly, audibly evolve so significantly from what you start out as. Um, you know, I, we, I was up at Inbound in 2019 and Sam Balter uh, put on a presentation about branded podcasts and, you know, starting a branded podcast for your business. And it was really well received. Um, the, when, when he started out, he said, who out there has a podcast? And not many people raise their hand. Who out there wants to start one? Everybody, there were, you know, 200, 300 people in the room. Everybody raises their hand. And before he got started, I was sitting there having a conversation with somebody who said, you know, my boss wants to start a podcast. So I figured I would just, you know, get the equipment, dive in. And one of the pieces of advice that I gave her, one of the things I said was, well, don't just start. Don't start recording. Don't think you're going to have the infinite podcast that we're going to do every single week, week after week, and it's just going to turn into something glorious. Because when you don't actually map out what do we want to talk about, who are we going to have on, what is the show structure, inevitably, you'll have five or six great episodes week after week. And then you realize that whoever is like hosting that also has to sell for the organization. So maybe they take a week off. Maybe they take a couple of weeks off. And it just kind of slows down. And it, and, and, you end up two years later looking back and being like, what happened with this project? It just, it just fell short. Um, so I recommended to her and I recommend to people who want to get into this, start with a mini series or a season plan where you say, I'm going to, I'm going to map out 12 episodes. And in those 12 episodes, we're going to cover these topics. These are the people that I want to interview. Um, making sure that you have it stringing together and you can button it up when you publish episode number 12 and feel like it was a success. And maybe there's room for a season two or mini series number two. Um, but yeah, that, that's just my recommendation when you get started. I love this. Oh, go ahead. As far as um, you know, mapping out exactly who's going to be on as a guest or who's going to be hosting it, often it's like you know our CEO is the most charismatic person in the world and he's so funny. It's going to obviously be him. That that might not necessarily be the best move because that CEO has a lot of work to do outside of just hosting a podcast. Um, and even though they may be very intelligent on the topic, that doesn't necessarily mean that they can guide a conversation or listen to the person they're interviewing and make sure that it's stringing together in a logical way for the listener. Um, or they fall into just reading question after question, getting an answer, and it's just non sequiturs where it doesn't feel cohesive. So sometimes it's, it's, you're better looking for somebody who has experience moderating a panel or you know, um, you know, conducting conversations in public, public speaking. Uh, those are the types of people, the types of personalities that do seem to do well hosting a podcast. That's interesting. So it's not always the subject matter expert as much as who do you feel comfortable and confident guiding, leading discussions. Yeah. Yeah, because why not have the CEO on as a guest to talk about one or two or three of those different topics, but let somebody else steer the ship. Yeah, that's great. You mentioned the mini series idea, and I love that, um, especially if you just are dipping your toe in the water and want to test this out and validate that you have the, the system, the infrastructure, and the bandwidth to make it happen long term. What are your thoughts on uh, episodic releases versus mm -hmm. Netflix style season drops? Do you have have you, I think, have you guys tried both of those? I don't know if you have a pension or a preference one way or the other on, on how to release episodes. Yeah, we have. In, in fact, we just, uh, in, for Inbound and Down, we're working on, I believe, series, uh, season seven or season eight right now. But our last season was a mini series where we only featured HubSpotters. Uh, we traveled up to Boston. We sat down with people. We did some remote interviews, uh, but we did the entire season where it dropped all at once. And that was the first time that we did that because we've always, um, kind of been of the mindset of I've produced it. Why am I going to sit on it? 
let's let's look at it in the inbound content in the in the blog post world. You might have a content plan where you say, "I want to produce you know these fifteen pieces to support this cluster, and I've written them all in a, over a period of two weeks, but I'm going to publish them week after week after week." Well, why? Why are you going to wait for? blog post number three, four, five, six, to start getting indexed, to start having its opportunity to rank, why not just publish it all at once? But with podcasting, there's a feeling of people want to look forward to the next episode. And I personally felt when we dropped the entire season of, of the HubSpotter interviews, I feel like they individually didn't get the amount of attention and shares and love that they would have had we said, no, no, this is Kevin's week. We need to promote Kevin's and not, hey, everyone, go check out all these episodes all at once. Yeah, I'm glad so, you said that because that's how I felt. So no, I'm just kidding. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, interesting. Uh, so it sounds like, uh it sounds like episodic gives you guys more of a well like a long-term promotion or distribution opportunity versus when they all drop at once it's hard to give each episode its individual uh moment in the spotlight so to speak yeah because there's an element of um promoting a podcast like once it's recorded and published that's not the end of the story we're not done um there's a lot of backlinking that needs to be built there's a lot of promotions and upcycling and taking content and repurposing it on social and you want to make sure that every single episode gets its 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 due gets its time that's great what uh what are the metrics or kpis you look at like how do you know how can you officially mark a podcast officially as this is a success for for my business yeah, it's a great question, especially when you're talking to people, you know, businesses that say, hey, I, I want to invest in a podcast. What's going to be my ROI? And it's really hard to draw direct correlation, but there are some undeniable things that are going to happen when you do have a successful podcast that you produce. First of all, the internal morale just tends to go up. People start feeling like really proud to be associated with a company that has great content that's being produced. Um, and just in general, you know, when I mentioned our first iteration of inbound and down when we were talking to each other for our other staffers to be listening in and hearing um, my co-host and I work through the details of what we go through. Generally, everybody else is experiencing that and skilling up themselves. So that is tangible. What's tangible is the attention you get from the public. When a salesperson's like, oh, I, I already know these things because I listened to your show, or can I talk to the host, or um, you know, for recruitment. I, I can't tell you how many times we've had people come in the door to interview who know everything about our company and feel like they already are aligned with our culture and who we wanna be. So there are some, some, ta some tangible things that can't be drawn back necessarily to revenue. Um, when you do want to look at the analytics and say, okay, well, how do we measure success? There, there's a lot, it's, it's a very fuzzy area. First of all, because people listen to podcasts in different ways. You can download an episode, you can subscribe to an episode, or you can listen to it and do neither. And you have many, many earballs, many, many people listening, but it doesn't necessarily get reflected in your subscriptions. Or uh, maybe people are subscribing in a way that they're receiving it, but they're not, it's not being counted in whatever platform you're using for distribution. So it's really hard to accurately quantify the, the success. I will say you can't expect um, you know, for, for a, 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 like a, an expertise podcast, you can't expect wild fame and thousands and thousands of downloads. And even the, the volume of listens to justify someone paying for advertising, you know, on a CPM basis, paying for advertising on a show when you've, you're, get, you're, you're clocking in at 30 or 40 listens. But those 30 or 40 listens per episode might be somebody who's going to make a substantial investment or the, 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 the new employee who's going to come on, join your team and take you in a different direction.
That's great. So the weight of an individual listener is obviously heavier than just a simple page view or a blog read or something like that. The intent is much, much higher potentially. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get into the podcasting as a service piece. Uh, this is interesting. I think it might be, at least as far as I know, unique to, to Maury. What does, uh, do you guys call it pass podcasting as a strategy or podcasting as a service yet? We do now. I love that. <laughs> I have one joke. And the thing is, I only have one joke. And so it's like Novocaine, give it time. It always works. And I've always said that we should think of HubSpot Academy as Academy as a service. Uh, but ass just doesn't have the right ring to it. So yeah, I don't, <laughs> um, talk to me about podcasting as a service, man. What does that look like for your clients? What aspects are outsourced? What elements of a podcast do you provide specifically as a service? Yeah. So the first thing that we'll do for people who come to us, um, is try and make recommendations to help them do it themselves, you know, rather than us using our internal resources. Like, of course we want to be producing podcasts for clients, for people who come specifically our inbound retainer clients. We want to be producing shows for them because we see the long-term benefit to the way that people are just digesting content right now. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, but if somebody comes to us and says, hey, we want to produce a show, we'll do exactly what you and I are doing right now. Just say, these are the things to consider. This is what the equipment's going to cost. This is what you need to do as far as mapping it out. You need to make sure that you have a structure. Are there ads? Is it a branded podcast? Meaning, is it like lifestyle speaking to the type of people you want to be in front of? Or is it an expertise podcast? What we call an EAT podcast, expertise, authority, and trust, like just like Google. Um, if it's going to be an eat podcast, that's where you're going to find your the most success. And we try and set them up to do it for themselves. If they, But when we get into like to do it well, it's not just about the recorded product. There is also distribution. There is posting it to your site. There is show notes. There is coordinating the interviews. There is the artwork. There is, you know, what is the distribution platform and how are you upcycling that content? Like there's a lot of things that can go into it. So if you want to do it well, that's where hiring a company like Mori Creative Studios makes a lot of sense. Um, because there isn't that direct ROI though, that's where it's kind of a difficult, like, okay, I need to invest how much with you and I'm going to definitely see what in return. You know, so that's where, uh, you know, people might often want to go and say, okay, we're going to try and do this on our own. You've mentioned that a few folks have begun to reach out saying, Hey, love what you're doing. We'd love to build a show ourselves. Do you find more traction with, uh, engagements that start or opened with podcasting, or do you see more traction with existing clients and you're just adding podcasting in as a, another lover for them to pull? Yeah, I would say that, you know, because our website is, you know, already a lead generation engine on the content development side and the web management management side, we the majority of our leads are still in web development. Uh, there have been a few people that have come to us, though, um, because of finding more Creative Studios saying, I'm looking for somebody to service this. There are a lot of companies out there that specialize just in helping companies produce podcasts. Um, so it's not an organic, you know, success as far as, you know, podcasting as a service is right now. What it is, with the, what the number one drive of people interested in producing a podcast is are our podcasts. People who listen to them, you know, come across them on social, find them, you know, through search. That's when they say, well, who produced this? I want to do this. This is exactly what we need to produce. So um, I would say that, yeah, uh, the, the people that do come to us specifically for podcasting, that's the means that they find us. Um, where we try to push podcasting for existing clients, we're going to dramatically discount how much it's going to cost to produce a show because we know that it's going to service the long-term goal of our success, our, our client success. And that's what we're hired for. So if this is a tool in our toolbox, we want to make sure that we're, we're using it for our existing clients before helping set up other people. That's great. Um, how do you uh, or do you get involved 
with giving a stamp of approval on an idea? Like, have you ever had someone come in with this really amazing, in their eyes, really amazing show idea, and you just don't feel that it's going to gain any traction? Where, what role do you play in that regard? Yeah, so we're advisors here, right? And if they are uh, steadfast on they want uh, the you know somebody from their marketing team to be the host because he's a stand-up comedian and he's very funny, and we don't think that he's going to be able to carry it for long enough. Um, but at the end of the day, it, you know, it's their decision. You know, they can listen to us, they can take our advice, and either go in a direction that we recommend, or you know, just follow through with that marketing person. So you're like, hey, I'm just going to put my recommendation out there and then take it as you as you wish. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, if, and if you wouldn't mind, I'd actually like to talk about the different types of podcasts that people can produce. Because when they do come to us and they have an idea, they want it to be the marketing stand-up comedian, whatever that might be, um, they aren't necessarily thinking about what is the format of this show. And I had, I had touched on this before where there's a difference between a branded podcast um, – where you're really just trying to entertain people that have an indirect correlation, indirect connection with your business. One of the best examples of this is HubSpot's Weird Work that was produced by uh, and hosted by Sam Balter. Um, that is a show about people who want to find their passion work-wise and maybe stop working for somebody else and go and pursue their dreams. Well, and it was about really weird dreams that people were having. So a very interesting show that had mass appeal. You didn't necessarily need to know who HubSpot was to find it, to like it, for it to be shared. But then drawing that connection through ads back to the HubSpot Academy, saying, you want to start your own business? You got to start somewhere. That's where the Academy comes in. And that now becomes a lead generator. But it's a uh, two steps removed process. That's different than what I think is the most successful type of podcast that you can produce, and that's that EAT podcast, that expertise podcast. Because when you produce a podcast that demonstrates that you understand what you're doing in your business, that helps um, you know, people just uh, learn more about what you do, not only is it you know, an enjoyable thing to produce, but it's something that uh, serves the same role that inbound content, content serves. Blog posts that rank because you're talking about things like comparing our service to somebody else's. Well, an article is going to rank really well for that. So will your podcast. And podcasts are now being served in search results, which is like this is very important to know. And you can look back to the, the evolution that video had. You know, originally when video started being served as a result, it wasn't served on the main SERP result. There was a tab that said video and you had to toggle over there if you specifically wanted video. And it took a little bit of time to see it actually showing up in those results. Well, we're seeing podcasts now showing up in results the same way that videos do. Currently, I believe you still need to put in podcast for it to say, oh, you must want a podcast. Here's a carousel. But we're on the right track here, right? Like, yeah, there's yeah. incremental steps being made. And you could see that maybe if I'm on a mobile device compared to a desktop, maybe they'll be more likely to serve me a podcast because isn't that a great experience to watch a video or listen to a podcast on a phone as opposed to reading an article? So you can see the opportunity um, th that's being presented there in the SERPs. And that's where producing that expertise show where you're building a content plan, you're building episodes, topics, just like you would build a content plan where I want to answer the questions that people have. Um, and I'm even going to go as far to say in the future, I think that podcasts that kind of cut out the theme music and I'm the host and get rid of all of that and just get to the answer. If you have an audio piece of content, that is going to be the thing that's engaged with most in search results. So just kind of like an eye on the future and what I think you know could be coming. So it's the audio version of a Google snippet, right? It's an audio just that's going to cut right to the answer of a particular question. 
Exactly. And right now, you know, voice enabled devices are serving that that snippet, that that featured snippet, you know, the position zero result. Uh, and it's Alexa or it's, you know, um, Siri or whoever reading that 36 word description. Well, wouldn't it be a better result if when you ask Alexa a question, she says, I found a podcast that covers it and you listen to somebody speak on it. Isn't that a better experience? And that that's coming down the line. So uh, I think the companies that are thinking this way and producing content that way, they're going to be ahead of the game whenever it does start becoming such a um, ubiquitous, ubiquitous way of the, uh, digesting content. John, as more and more people think about building out podcasts, creating podcasts, specifically like these eat style podcasts to borrow your acronym, but um, how do you, or how much do you need to be thinking about how to cut through the noise? You know what I mean? Like, how do you, how do you think about being not another marketing podcast or like, what do you have to put in place to make sure you're not being another marketing podcast. So it's like, how niche do you need to go? How do you cut through the noise? If that makes sense. Yeah. I think a lot of people look at the competitive landscape of podcasting, you know, specifically in our space, you know, uh, having a, a podcast, this is a podcast in addition to, you know, the video format, having this where it is agency talk. There are a lot of shows that do like, we love at inbound and down to have other agencies on to talk about their experiences. Um, so you start to see many of those. But let's compare how many podcasts there are out there that are, you know, focusing on whatever their niche might be. There are, uh, we did a webinar about podcasting for business. At the time, it was something like 700,000 podcasts. And I think now it's 900,000 podcasts, which seems like a lot. But if you compare that to 2.5 billion websites, does that mean you, you know, ah, too late to the game. I don't need a website. It's all about context. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, there are 2 million blog posts published every single day we're still going to continue to produce blog posts. You know, the, when you look now at that 900,000 number, it actually doesn't seem all that intimidating. It's kind of like I'm a little bit early to the game. And I do think that there's, just like with content or domains that have a longer legacy, there's a benefit of being in the game early and getting started early and, you know, being one of the options that are being served. That's great. And then uh, maybe one or two questions left for you here. Um, when I think about, we've talked about it a little bit, but like distribution, uh, we've talked about, um, I think like Spotify or Apple podcasts or Google podcasts. I've seen Stitcher. How do you determine where and how you get your podcast out there? Yeah. Great question. Um, because if you are going about this in a way that you're saying, I'm just producing those audio snippets that I only care if they're surged and served in search results. Right. Are they just embedded on your website in that regard? So that's not going to be found. If, if we actually experienced this firsthand a couple of years ago, we had an idea, um, years ago about, you know, when we're producing really incredible long form content, why not increase the time on page by having a video on there and by having an audio version. So just an audio read version of this. And it, it, you know, it did increase the ranking signal time on page. So that did benefit us, but there was no real discoverability for the audio, the way that there was for the video, because the video was hosted in YouTube and we were finding, you know, traffic coming from YouTube. But the, when you embed a piece of audio directly on your website, it's not anywhere else. And it's not going to be found and served. So if you are going to pursue that, I want to just produce little audio snippets that answer a question as quickly as possible. You could just go the route of I'm only going to publish to Google podcasts. But really, if you have a piece of content, don't you want to put it in as many places as possible? And there are services like we leverage Libsyn. Libsyn you can publish to, and there is where you're going to put your show name, the the description, the show art. And from there, you can dispense it to everywhere else that you want to. It's going to be in Spotify if that's where someone wants to listen to the podcast. It's going to be, you know, in your um, whatever app you're listening to, Stitcher. Yeah, Apple Podcast, the Apple Podcast app. 
Yeah, we use Libsyn as well. And it's basically, at the end of the day, you're taking the distribution out of your hands and just like get, letting the tool do the work. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's one, another one of those steps that's important to not overlook, to make sure that when you're going about this for yourself, making sure that you have the right people on staff who are assigned to do these things. Um, you know, it's not just whoever the toast is or the talent is who's going to be doing this whole thing. There are other people that you need to consider hiring um, or assigning whenever you want to get started doing this. Uh, what would those roles look like? So there's actually three main roles. One of them, the most important role, um, it's, it's actually not the most important to the process, but it's, it, you know, the first one you're going to consider is who's going to host this, who's going to drive the conversation. Is it an interview style format? You know, who can do that really well? So that's the host. And that's pretty clear what their responsibilities are. But the second role that you want to consider is the engineer. And again, this doesn't have to be an engineer that you hire outside of your organization. It can be somebody internally that is comfortable with the software. But the engineer is the person who has a good idea of, um, engineering sound and setting you up in a way that you can capture audio in the best possible way. Um, as far as adding music and theme music and coordinating all that stuff, editing it together. So leveraging the software, we use uh, audition. Um, I believe audacity is a platform that you can use for editing. I think it might even be free. Um, but need, they need to understand what is the software that I can take and cut this up. And because inevitably you're going to have ums, you're going to have you know sneezing, or you're going to have people accidentally cursing. You want to be able to chop that up and maybe cut, you know, shorten it. Maybe you finish recording and this thing that was 45 minutes, there's only 10 minutes of good stuff. You need someone that can actually tighten it up. So that's your engineer. And then, in my opinion, one of the most important people is the producer. That's the person who is thinking about this constantly and saying, "Who are the guests I want to have? I'm going to coordinate them." This way, the person who's hosting it doesn't have to worry about like getting them set up on, um, you know, if it's a remote interview, we use a, a tool called Squadcast. Squadcast lets people come in and we can record their audio. And there are many different options you can use. This is another one of those like hard lessons that we've learned along the way. We've used five or six different platforms and there are issues with a lot of them. And But Squadcast, I will say, has kind of resolved a lot of those issues. So that's a recommendation on that side. Um, but that's the producer. The producer is worried about getting them set up, doing the show prep, you know, what is the title of the person? What do we want to talk about? What are the questions that we should be asking? Once a show is then live, once a show is then recorded and, and ready to be published, this is also the person who's coordinating show art, the person who is, you know, publishing it to Libsyn, the person who is upcycling it to social media or doing all of the other stuff that should happen. So it's really, in my, in my opinion, really important to make sure that you have a producer that understands what you're trying to achieve. And they're ready to wear uh, all of those hats because it sounds like they have to be a multifaceted uh, marketer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, John, final question for you. We uh, end every episode with this. Uh, now, it's usually what's the weirdest part of agency life, uh, but maybe just uh, the way in which we had to record today's episode. What's the weirdest part of remote agency life for you at this point? The weirdest part of remote agency life? Um yeah, it's a, that's a great question. You know, we were partially remote, par partially distributed workforce, you know, before this all happened. So we really migrated to this well, we took to it well. Um, but for the people that have been used to coming into an office and having the culture of high fives and hugs and lunch together, and like, we're, we're losing that. So the weirdest part has been trying to replace that, trying to make sure that the way that we respect each other and engage with each other and continue to develop our friendships and our relationships, that it's still there. And I've got to say that I'm, I'm, <laughs> 
overwhelmed with love and joy for the team that we have and the way that they've taken to this situation. We have incredible leaders within our organization that are making sure that everybody is being tended to. And there are days that I wake up, you know, we, we, we all go through these ebbs and flows of feeling like I'm going to conquer the world right now. And I couldn't, or I couldn't be more depressed right now. And this is really challenging. But when I know that I have the, the people on our team that are looking out for each other and asking personally, like, is your home life okay? And it doesn't have to be me as the president of the organization making sure, checking in on it with everybody every single day. I know that the leaders at our organization are doing that and caring for each other and bringing to light whenever somebody is having a hard time. So uh, I'd say that the weirdest thing is maintaining that culture and love and support for each other. It sounds like uh, thus far, you guys have been doing a great job at keeping it alive, which is great. Yeah. Um, well, John, thanks for coming on. Uh, I appreciate you joining us for an episode. Thanks for sharing all your knowledge and expertise as it relates to podcasting. Uh, but that's it, man. That's all we got. That uh, This has been another episode of Agency Unfiltered. Kevin, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it.